0: work life imbalance. balance an advice show focusing on workplace and lifestyle issues. Any resemblance to actual advice, living or dead, or actual wisdom is purely coincidental. I'm your monstrous manager, Frank Eastman. This week presents a bit of a departure from our usual agenda. Due to some significant life and career changes going on for Derek and I, the show will be moving to a fortnightly cadence for our regular episodes. That means you can expect a new episode of Work-Life Imbalance every other Friday. In the meantime, in a departure from the expected, this week will be a story from yours truly. The Worst Job I Ever Loved My first non-academic job reads a lot like a relationship, and not a good one. We were together for about ten years, though in retrospect, I should really have left after four. Things started off fantastically, as they usually do. We met through some mutual friends, who talked me up quite a bit. The first date interview went splendidly. It was, in fact, something of a formality. I went through some psychological testing a protocol they had adopted earlier that year and dropped later that year due to expense, and then I interviewed with the person who would be my direct supervisor. During the interview, a few different people from around the office came in to present and answer a few questions, fairly standard stuff, and then we went on a tour of the office. At the end of the tour, my soon-to-be manager stopped at the elevator and said, Do you think you'd like to work with the folks you met today? I said yes. He said, I'll see you on Monday, then. We'll send the paperwork. In retrospect, this was kind of a bad sign. I came to find out the position I was filling was being vacated that week by somebody who was quitting because, and I quote, if I'm going to work 80-hour weeks, I might as well do it for myself while running my own company. They wanted to fill the vacancy very rapidly in order to get at least some amount of knowledge transfer because, well, the last guy had finally broken. At the time, I didn't know this was a giant waving red flag. I just knew that I needed a job and wanted to work in the industry. So I jumped in with both feet and tried to learn as much as I could from my predecessor in the few days he was still with the organization. To continue the analogy, if, by the second or third date, you have international-level drama, the relationship isn't likely to go well. When I interviewed and got hired, I was told there would be little to no travel. Within a week of starting, I was on a plane to Los Angeles. Come to find out, a very big, Japan-based, multinational client that I would be working with had a very strong relationship with the person that I was replacing. My company had neglected to mention their ex was leaving and I was coming in, and that had caused something in the way of a political shitstorm. So there I was, essentially being asked to meet the parents by week two to make sure they didn't cut off the flow of money from the trust fund. I'd gotten hired, but if the biggest client the company had didn't like me, I was going to be out on my ear in short order. I wasn't starting out on a great footing, either, with the client upset at losing the relationship they'd built with the last person, and with me having absolutely no experience in the arena. This was, again, my first industry job. Up until this point, I had worked in academia. When I landed in California, I got hazed. As far as anybody in Los Angeles knew, I was some big old country boy from Alabama who wouldn't be able to navigate the multicultural liberalism of the big city. Our own representative that picked me up at the airport felt it necessary to tell me, in a tone of preparing for a potential outburst, that our head client relationship manager on the ground was gay. I believe my response was, Uh, cool? In our first meeting, the client representatives were not outright hostile, but they did put me to the question fairly pointedly. I got the feeling very quickly that they'd been led to believe I had a lot more experience than I did, which was, once more, none at all. And so I found myself dancing along a very narrow bridge over shark-infested waters, trying to answer their questions without showing my hand. The final flourish was a client-sponsored lunch at a local Japanese restaurant that catered to executives coming over from Japan. It was traditional enough that nothing, including the sign on the building, was in English. All of the staff were Japanese, and the only people speaking English were in my party. The client suggested, helpfully, that they would order for everyone. I could tell from the tone and bearing that this was a prank and a test. They were taking the big redneck from the south, Caps, and they were going to feed him that most exotic of eastern cuisines, raw fish. Fortunately, unfortunately, I'm a big nerd, and I already quite enjoyed sushi. They were honestly a bit crestfallen when platter after platter of raw seafood arrived, and I didn't bat an eye. They were pretty well sunk when I praised the look of the Otoro, in an arrangement that was being set down. I didn't let on that, in that one comment, I'd pretty much exhausted the entirety of my knowledge. I spent the rest of the meal eating everything offered to me with a smile. Eel, urchin, root vegetables that don't exist in the United States, fermented things I couldn't identify. At the end of the day, I passed their test and was allowed to stay. I'm sure it wasn't because of my ability to hang gustatorially, but more that I'd taken the various punches over the course of the meeting and hadn't folded outright, so it wasn't worth souring the entire relationship. It wasn't like they could get the guy back that they really wanted, as he was off running poker games for expensive charity functions with his family owned company by this point. After that particular emergency was tamped down, I was taught the ins and outs of the business and started to learn how to be a project manager. Since I'd never done the job before, I had to learn on the go from my direct supervisor and the software developers I worked with. As it turns out, those two viewpoints were in pretty fundamental opposition. My supervisor had been in project management for quite a while, over a decade and was pretty good at the job. The job here being keeping his ass covered and the people above him in the organization happy. This is where I learned that a project manager's purpose is, traditionally, to document in great detail exactly why they got laid off. That is to say that, on the balance, a project manager is usually shouting into the void that the project is in danger of failing due to decisions being made by the company, And is then caught up in the bloodletting that happens when a large scale project either outright fails or goes massively over budget. Usually they're doing this while also delivering reports saying whatever their boss wants to hear, which is that in spite of doing everything the project manager said not to do, the project is going great and there's no need to peek behind the curtain. This is why most project managers have the bearing of cats, slightly aloof, definitely tired of your shit, and yet prone to fleeing in terror at the smallest noise. This comes from the constant tightrope walk, balancing between telling everyone that everything is going to hell in a handbasket, while also telling everyone that everything is under control and will definitely deliver. Something. At some point. This training was counterbalanced by a group of mid- and senior-level developers who I had an existing friendship with and who realized that I was willing to do whatever I was asked to do that made sense. I didn't know anything about project management at the time, so they could fill my head with wild flights of fancy. Like solving their problems so they could concentrate on writing software instead of internal policies or politics. Or craziness like learning how the systems we were building functioned so I could make educated statements about them. This was the beginning of the agile boom, and servant leadership was something nobody had heard of yet, so this was decidedly not how project managers in our region and industry comported themselves. I played guard dog for my team on my projects and had the distressing tendency to tell people the truth, regardless of whether it caused problems in the organization or hurt my career. Which it did. A lot. I came into the industry before we started calling the Great Recession, the Great Recession. All I knew is that I had gone through college with the expectation that going to college meant I'd get a good job that paid well, and live happily ever after. Instead, I spent two years largely unemployed, and jumped feet first on the first opportunity I could get even if it was at 20-25% to 25% less compensation than I should have gotten. I figured at the time that some job was better than no job, and if I proved myself, I'd make up that lost ground in a year or two. In my defense, I was young and very, very dumb. The first year, when race time came around, I had a very polite meeting with my boss, where he explained that things in the company weren't where projections suggested and that there was no money for raises that year. Except, of course, for the sales staff and a few critical developers that threatened to leave outright. The second year, when raise time came around, we had a round of layoffs right before, and the conversation was that I was a very hard worker and the company wanted to show their appreciation by giving me a cost of living adjustment and I needed to be a team player and step up and take on the workload of somebody that had just gotten laid off. I got my first raise after being there for four years, after conversations about getting promoted from Project Manager 1 to Project Manager 2. That year I got a raise, but I was informed that they had eliminated the career path for Project Managers, And now the only advancement path went from project manager to senior project manager, which required six to eight years of experience. But hey, they gave me the pay increase I expected for the promotion. I did some research on career sites that studied compensation. At that point in my career, having started behind and not getting much by way of compensation adjustments, I was at the fifth percentile for total compensation for people in my field with my education and experience in my area. Which is to say that 95% of people with the same qualifications made more than I did. The pay band for the 50th percentile was just under twice what I was making. And that's when I marched into my boss's office and demanded fair compensation or I was walking. In my fantasies. Instead, I buckled down and did the work of two people for half the pay of one. Not long after that, my boss transferred internally from project management staff to sales staff. He'd always been a much more political animal than I was, and he'd seen both the writing on the wall and how the company operated. Sales staff were given the moon and the stars and could do no wrong, because they were seen to produce, in the mafioso sense of the word. Project managers, at best, saved more money than they cost. Better to be seen to produce than to questionably save money. I was told by my new supervisor that they couldn't make any compensation adjustments outside of the company-mandated period for raises. But if I took on my old boss's workload, it would definitely look good when time for raises came. I know. I'm an idiot. So, when I ended up with my old boss's workload and no promotion, why didn't I walk out? Because we do crazy things for love, I guess. I felt like I could make a difference. In the company, in the culture, in the lives of the people I worked with, I thought if only management could see where they were going wrong, I could somehow fix them and fix the toxic systems at work in the organization. If the relationship wasn't working, we'd fix it. By the way, so many others have fixed broken relationships in the past. We decided to have a baby. Well, open a satellite office. And I'd oversee the satellite office. And I'd run it the way that I thought things should be run, so that when everybody saw how much more productive and profitable it was, they'd listen to me. And then there'd be unicorns, and rainbows, and everyone would live happily ever after. Yeah, that was an unmitigated disaster. The best thing to come out of the experience was becoming intimately familiar with laying people off, since when I had no hire or firepower and wasn't authorized to make any sales or really do anything other than order toner or call the ISP about the constant internet issues, I did get to be the point person for the drawdown of the office. By the end, I was the grim reaper of the technology park, and people feared my arrival at their office door. After that debacle, I did get a promotion and a raise. I ran the numbers again at the time, and I'd moved from 5th percentile to 15th percentile. Things were looking up. Actually, what happened was the account manager over the big account i had originally been hired to work on was leaving. The client was something of a bully and difficult to work with, and they were moving in a different direction. Essentially, my company was getting fired, and everybody on the account was jumping ship. I went from guy who worked on that account to person in charge of the entire account overnight. I'd been suckered with a raise and a promotion, but I was captain of a doomed ship and being expected to go down with it. Again. I was assured that somebody would come by to pick me up in a life raft if I just stayed at the helm until the last. So I buckled down even harder and did the work. See, even if the client was closing the account, they were still tied to our products for a 9-12 to month rollout of their new hotness. I'm a project manager, so I already knew that if their new vendor is promising them a rollout in 9 months, and they're being conservative by assuming it's going to be 12 months, then this clusterfuck is going to take eighteen to twenty-four months. Eighteen to twenty-four months of being handcuffed to me, and I've been lashed to the main mast of the whole ship. I've got nothing to lose at this point, so I decided to run the account the way I felt it should have been run. I serviced the account with a smile and with civility, but I wasn't going to be pushed around. Organizationally, we had a tendency to focus on only top line instead of bottom line. That is to say, the only thing management cared about was how much the gross value of the contract was worth, but paid no attention to how much money it cost us to fulfill that contract. Sales has been using this fact since the dawn of time to make themselves look good. They sign, for instance, a $500,000 contract for work that will take $550,000 to do by forcing the estimate to say that it'll take $400,000. The sales guy gets kudos and a bonus on the $500k, and when, nine months later, the project comes in at $550k, all the developers and project managers get laid off because we didn't make projections. Where they say that by selling $250,000 worth of work for $100,000 that we'll be establishing a strong relationship with an account that will generate millions for years, that they then document in projections. Of course, at that point, the client expects things will always cost half or less of what it takes to make. I looked at what it cost us to honestly do the work, and I marked it up by the target profit margin. Then I sold that to the client, so that when the project was done, we made a profit. Astounding, I know. Additionally, since the account was in twilight, it was prioritized down the list when the company made decisions about which projects to take on. Nobody wants to be on the sinking ship, after all. So when the client called and asked for enhancements, I told them the truth about the timeline to getting the work done. Since there were other projects that had been scheduled in front of theirs, it would take a while. The client called me directly. They demanded the work be done faster. I told them that the only way to move the work up the schedule was to make it financially viable for us to push other work out of the way. I presented them with a new fee schedule that had a rush option at a significant hourly increase that would get my company to move other projects out of their way. They got angry and demanded we do the work faster for the same amount of money. I told them that it would be, unfortunately, impossible for us to do so. I thanked them for their business and reiterated that we would have the work out on the schedule I'd originally presented. And then I hung up. There was a quiet in the office. I had hung up on an angry client after telling them that they would not get what they wanted. I was a madman. Heads would roll. The CEO would likely be in my office within minutes to fire me personally. I waited. Fifteen minutes later, the client called me back to say that if their work got pushed to the head of the line, they'd pay the higher rate. I drew up new contracts and timelines. In the end, the client was happy that they had methods to get responsiveness. They were willing to pay a premium to go to the head of the line, and for the rest of the time we supported the product, they paid the higher rates with a smile and got work that was completed in a timely fashion and which came in wildly above initial predictions for the account. And that's when I got a big raise and was paraded through the halls as a conquering hero. No. That year, when it came time for raises, I was told that numbers were overall down across the company. There was a bright spot where my account was, but that year some of the staff were being asked to take pay cuts, and we were going to have a round of layoffs. It was intimated that I should be happy that I was so low in the organizational rankings I didn't warrant taking a pay cut or being let go outright. I don't know when to, literally, quit. I was going to make this relationship work, Damn it! Whatever was wrong, I was going to turn it around, even if it killed me. And at that point, it might have. My personal relationships were starting to suffer. My home life was suffering. I was working long hours, and whenever I was home, I was moody and unpleasant. I was drinking more and eating more. I gained weight, and my doctors started complaining that every time I went in, my blood pressure was getting higher and higher. The solution, I thought, was to turn things around at work. I decided to get to the bottom of why the company wasn't profitable. My entire division was always busy, overworked even, and at the rates we build and the cost of manpower, we should have been in the green. I decided that the problem had to be that we were working on unprofitable projects that overran. I devoted my time to creating a new prioritization system that we could use to decide what work to do and when to do it to maximize profitability. We raised rates where we could and instituted tiered structures for rush work. I was working hand-in-hand with the senior technical people and the head of the division, daily. We had our processes so fine-tuned they sang. All it cost was gaining 50 pounds and developing a drinking problem, but hey, there was light at the end of the tunnel. This thing was going to work, and I'd finally be able to get the raise and the promotion because the money would finally be there. The numbers for the organization as a whole came out. My division's profitability had gotten worse. I was stunned. Well, I didn't have access to the numbers directly, I had access to enough of the numbers to know that it was patently impossible for us to bill as much as we did and lose money with the costs that we could account for. There had to be a mistake. I needed to see the numbers. I was livid. I became the jealous partner. I was demanding to see the phone. I was going to check for texts from somebody else, emails, a Tinder icon, something. I'd done everything right. How could they do this to me? And that is when I'm told to get my stuff and get out. This just isn't going to work. I'm not the right person. As soon as I get my toothbrush and my DVDs, the locks are going to be changed. I went to the bar and drank through the angry and the sorrow. But only the once. Because I realized I'd been set free. I was never going to leave of my own accord. It had never been a healthy relationship, but I stayed. I stayed out of a sense of obligation and duty and self-identity. I'd always been getting used, but I hadn't really been able to see it from the inside. I didn't need to see a tender profile or some illicit sexts to know. What I should have known was to get out before that point, but I was in love. Not with them, but with my conception of myself and what it could have been. I was in love with being the capable employee that turned the whole thing around. I was in love with the idea of being paid what I was worth by a conciliatory management team forced to recognize my worth. I was in love with making a difference and the recognition of my coworkers. I was in love with dreams and fantasies while reality crumbled around me. It was only once I was out that I realized how toxic the situation had been and how trapped I'd made myself. Letting go from that job is still one of the best things that's ever happened to me. It would have destroyed me. I had to be forced out. It was a blessing, really. I've since moved on in my career and my life to become happier than I'd been in a long, long time. I still wake up every morning loving that job, because I'm not at it anymore.